Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on July the 2nd, 2012. Newcomers, help yourself to the website CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and make use of the free downloads of over a thousand audios where you'll start to understand the big system you're born into, your parents were born into, and your grandparents to a big plan actually, a big global plan to bring the world into one particular system, a standardized system, because that's what monopolies always do. They come in and they standardize all the systems to suit themselves. And the world has been being standardized for a long time through the United Nations, which is a front group, of course, for the, the boys who started it up and came up with the whole idea of a global society which they themselves would own and run and control. And I mean control. They don't believe in free uh, rights or individual rights, uh, even individuals at all, for that matter. They don't like individuals. They want a, a kind of a common type of cloned person eventually to serve them and be obedient and not ask for very much in return. And we're going through the big changes today. So help yourself to cutting through the com. And remember, you are the audience that bring me to you. You can help me keep going by buying the books and discs at cutting through the com. And from the US to Canada, you can purchase using a personal check or an international postal money order from the post office. You can send cash and some people send PayPal instead. Across the world, Western Union, MoneyGram and PayPal. Members, straight donations are awfully, awfully welcome in these times of quantitative easing, which is hyperinflation as we're going into it basically, because everything's shooting up in the stores, postal, rates, everything goes up. In Canada, in fact, for every one that I post out, uh, I have to pay a fuel charge as well, because they even have a fuel charge added on to it here in Canada. So, we're living through the biggest changes that have happened since the beginning of the industrial age when masses of people were put off their farms to go into the cities, forced off actually by the Rothschilds who passed the Corn Laws and flooded Britain with foreign grain and they put the farmers off just in time to get them into the, these new slums that they built. Uh, which would become uh, hell holes for families for well over a 100 years. Well, this is the big change now in the global society. Lots of books have been written about it by the big players for the last 100 years who helped plan this society, including the cultural changes step by step. That means literally what culture you'd have for the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and so on. Uh, and these guys wrote all about it. They had to destroy all the old to bring in the new. And when everyone's dysfunctional and on their own, basically, uh, then you're ruled by government agencies and laws. It's very, very simple. It's been very effective. And the, the world pretty well now is at the, the proper stage of dis- dysfunction so that the agencies and authorities can control each and every one of us. You see, society apparently is not safe anymore now that we're all dysfunctional. And uh, all the violence that's been promoted for many, many years is showing in the lifestyles of the young people who soak up the television uh, and also the, the, the movies that are churned out for them. Because we emulate what we see. 
you're going through a controlled takedown and with a, an absolute uh, predicted outcome. And eventually all the answers for the new system will, will come out from the United Nations and elsewhere. And in actual fact, they already are. So we're on our joyrides for some at the top and, and a hell ride for all the rest of us down below as we go through the bank crashes, which are all timed to go out. I mean, very few people, if any, will end up in jail over all the plundering the planet. After all, the banks have been plundering the, the planet using governments for hundreds and hundreds of years. That's who ends up getting all the profits. Before they ran the governments, they were called pirates. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix, and we do live in a, a very, very controlled society, a controlled system, because I say a hundred years ago, I've said this many times, a, a group got together, they pre-existed of course under different names, but they got together under a new name, Cecil Rhodes Foundation, and also the Milner Group of International Bankers and their sons, and they decided to take over the world. And they formed the Royal Institute of International Affairs, one of the biggest so-called think tanks that runs every country's affairs. I mean every country's affairs through various names, like the Council on Foreign Relations. They have various names in different countries, but they're all the same organization. And, uh, and they've been very, very successful. But not just that, they brought in Marxist ideas because they like a socialist system, big government running the peasantry, you see. And they, want, they, they also knew they'd need big government and massive police forces at the, at the end of the system to take control of a society that was going to get forced into austerity for this new age. And here we all are, a hundred years later, and it's working perfectly as they planned it, it would. Now here's an article here, for example. Now banks have always ripped off the public, and governments, it doesn't matter what you call your government, or what, whatever myth you hold on to to do with your government, democracy or, or whatever, doesn't make any difference because the banks have always ruled your countries. I mean, let's be honest, every, every hundred years you're up trillions or more in debt. If anything worked in your government, you wouldn't have any debt at all. But you want to hang on to the mythologies, even though it's evident that something has gone wrong a long time ago and it's still operating yet under some kind of charlatan enterprise. So, 77% of J.P. Morgan's net income comes from government subsidies. I've read this article before, but it's worth just touching on it again. And it's a massive bank, of course. And it was in Bloomberg's blog last week there. And it says that J.P. Morgan benefited from the assumption that there's a very high likelihood the U.S. government would back the bank's bondholders and creditors if it defaulted on its debts, according to the statement. Without the implied federal backing, J.P. Morgan's long-term deposit rating would have been three levels lower, and its senior debts would have dropped to more, uh, two more steps, it says. That was from Moody's. And I was in Bloomberg's. And J.P. Morgan receives a government subsidy worth about $14 billion per year, according to a research uh, published by the International Monetary Fund uh, and their own analysis of bank balance sheets. The money helps the bank pay big salaries and bonuses. You know how they give themselves a couple of billion a year to this guy and a couple of billion to that guy? More important, it distorts markets fueling crises such as the recent subprime lending disaster, 
and the sovereign debt debacle that is now threatening to destroy the euro and sink the global economy. With each new banking crisis, the value of the implicit subsidy grows. In a recent paper, two economists, uh, Kenichi Ueda of the IMF and Beatrice Wider de Moro of the University of Mainz, estimated that as uh, of 2009, the expectation of government support was shaving about 0.8% uh, percentage points off large banks' borrowing costs. That's up from 0.6 percentage points in 2007, before the financial crisis prompted a global round of bank bailouts. So that's not the only one that gets this. It's always been like this. That's why the banks give you your governments, understand? And they give you central banking systems, private banks that run the government. All run under the same, as I say, the Trilateral Commission comes from Foreign Relations Group across the whole planet. This article, two big banks have become mafia-style criminal enterprises. Well, I don't know when they became mafia-style. They were always in that, that kind of category. Even in the Middle Ages, when usury became kind of popular with people coming in to, to Britain, for instance, uh, it, it was so bad that the whole grain market had been cornered so quickly that the king had to intervene to find out what had happened. The whole grain market across the whole country was completely monopolized by a tiny group that held the country at ransom. So this is, there's nothing new in these mafia-style criminal enterprises. And that's the dilemma of mankind. The, the material world, the spiritual world, the conflict between the two. Those that choose the spiritual and those that choose the material. And when they choose the material, believe you me, they go for nothing but the material world. Humanity goes down the drain. Now, as we're going through these massive changes, you also have uh, black boxes, which they mentioned last year, to monitor all Internet and phone data that get installed now. And it says Internet and phone firms are preparing to install black boxes to monitor UK Internet and phone traffic and decode encrypted messages like they haven't been doing it already, eh? including Facebook and Gmail messages. As part of the Home Offices, that's Britain's communications data bill, internet service providers and mobile phone companies will be obliged to collect communication records and keep them for a year. Of course, it's going to be forever, as you well know. And that was on Channel 4 News just um, recently. So they're really, as I say, on board and on track uh, at the right side, going exactly where they want to take the world at the right time with all of this as we go into one world. And remember, too, everyone's got to be completely predictable in a, in a socialist uh, society owned by the big banking boys and uh, big fraternal groups at the top. It says $4 trillion, trillion dollar conflict of interest, investment bankers on Fed boards. It says, who else but independent Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders would have the courage to blow the whistle on the $4 trillion Fed scam involving near-zero-interest Federal Reserve loans and other financial assistance that went to banks and businesses of at least 18 current and former Federal Reserve Regional Bank directors in the aftermath of the 2008 financial collapse, all documented in the Government Accountability Office records. It was on the eve of Senate testimony by J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon, who on June the 13th that Sanders released the detailed findings on Demon, District Demon or Diamond, call what you want, and other Fed board members whose banks and businesses benefited from the federal actions. The GAO data also appeared at Reader Support, uh, uh, supportnews.org RSN. I'll put all this stuff up tonight, remember, at cuttingthroughthematrix.com, and you can get all the links to them all. 
RSN reports uh, uh, Sanders' provision in Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform Act required the Government Accountability Office to investigate potential conflicts of interest. The October 19, 2011 report was uh, by the non-partisan investigative arm of Congress laid out the findings but n- did not name names. Sanders today released the names and I've got that as well. I'll put that up and there's actually a PDF as well called Jamie Dimon is not alone. And uh, it's got uh, all the 18 other uh, former and current directors from the Federal Reserve Banks who were collectively, the collective received over $4 trillion in low interest loans from the Federal Reserve. And again, that was for their own corporations. Of course, there's nothing wrong with that, is there? It's all pals and stuff. Pals like helping each other out with your money, you know. Now, an, another article too, I've mentioned this as well, but it's worth repeating. As they, they keep going with the, the hype about CO2. It doesn't matter, I've mentioned this before, it wouldn't matter if, if uh, all the deities themselves came down to earth and demanded uh, to, to tell the truth uh, about CO2 and, and global warming and all the rubbish that was dreamed up by the Club of Rome think tank to bring us all under control in the 1970s. Uh, it doesn't matter if they all came down, they'd have to annihilate them, the boys that want this big global agenda through, because it's all to do with a new way of living where you'll be taxed for everything. And it's post-consumerist society, then you have to also make sure that all your spending money goes off in taxes and fees and things like that. That's what they mean by that. It's part of this austerity package, you see. And this top scientist came out who was all for it, of course, for years. It says, globalist switching gears. Royal Society lecturer says CO2 is not affecting the Earth's temperature after all. But I'll put that up. And you can read that for yourself as well. See, it doesn't matter how many come out and, and change their minds. It doesn't make any difference. It's, it's a done deal. It's going ahead. And um, in Australia, of course, that's the, 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 really the flagship for the test trial of all. Australian Prime Minister Gillard defends the carbon tax. Well, naturally, she must because she's put everything into it. And it says that uh, uh, she's been trying... Uh, to rally support for Australia's carbon tax a day after protests as the law came into force. This came in on the 1st of July. The Prime Minister embarked on a series of interviews as a poll showed that almost two-thirds of the public were against the controversial tax. People would see the impact of the policy in months to come, she said. The tax targeting the country's worst polluting companies was introduced after months of political wrangling. The law would force at least 300 firms to pay a $23 uh, which is uh, yeah, 23 Australian dollars, it's 24 American, I think 15 pounds British levy for every tonne of greenhouse gas they produce. Now, who's measuring what and how do you measure it? The Nielsen poll published in the newspaper said support for the tax was its lowest since it was announced 15 months ago, falling 4% in the last month to 33%. I love this percentage stuff. It's very Orwellian when they keep announcing percentages and stuff. It says there has been a hysterical fear campaign from the doomsday merchants who have tried to convince people over the last 12 months that we'll see, for example, the coal industry go out of business, Mrs. Gillard told ABC Radio. People are in a position from the start of carbon pricing and in the days ahead to weigh the worth of these claims. And then they go through the usual politics with the opposition leader, etc., etc. 
But it's, uh, it's interesting. It has to go across the whole world, remember, this carbon tax. Now, they can call it carbon. They also want an energy tax so that you'll pay extra for everything that you purchase. And they're actually going to have all these little, you know, pen scribblers, just scribbling out little equations there to see how much it costs to make that, that chocolate bar and the wrapping paper and, and everything else, you see, and, and add it on to it. And then where does it go? Well, same big bankers at the top that came up with the, the ideas. Remember, the carbon taxes are felt they go through the Rothschilds private bank in Switzerland. Now it says, um, this is really interesting. I've mentioned so many times about the military industrial complex and, and how the military has always been in cahoots with the culture industry to make sure there's plenty of guys for the cannon fodder for the next coming 20, 30 years of wars. We'll talk about that when I come back from this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're talking about the military-industrial complex and how it's always been in cahoots with Hollywood, of course. Hollywood's in cahoots with all the bit parts of the agenda, of course. And uh, the, the whole culture industry, remember, culture industry gives you your whole reality. And you're hit with it as young as you can be. It's, it's there with the cartoons. It's in children's novels. You actually get point systems for including all the latest updates and PC stuff. It's a point system for authors if you want to get your book picked. And you get grants as well from governments to put all the PC stuff in the storylines. But back to the military-industrial complex, uh, young guys don't mature. Guys don't mature till they're, they're much older. And um, when they're 18, 17 or 18, 19, they're still living in a semi-fictional imaginary world. And it's, it's easy for them to get into that immortality syndrome where you think, I could never be killed, I'll live forever. And that folk who are 40 are, are, are different species than they are. That's how they think. They think they're stuck in that time. It's a strange thing. And so because of that, they're good cannon fodder for the military to recruit, especially when you make depressions happen. That's what part of the reason you've got all these depressions going on, too. It's all being used across the world for massive recruitment for military because we've got to finish off all these wars, you see, ongoing perpetual wars. Uh, even their military magazine have had articles out in that, the U.S. military, and they actually just call it perpetual war. And so we're in that perpetual war, beginning with Gulf War I. Uh, before that, of course, we had lots of little wars going on, even in Latin America, for years and other places, kind of quiet. But uh, perpetual war since at least Gulf War I. And it's ought to be ongoing until we've finished this whole new world order of agenda of standardizing all the Muslim countries across the planet and getting the central banks into them and getting usury on the, on the go and debt. And, and then the people that are yours, you see. And then comes all the PC stuff as well to destroy the culture that held them together for thousands of years and until they're all dependent on government and government agencies and social workers and everything else. So this article here is about one of the latest movies, of course, and it says the military entertainment complex is an old phenomenon that binds Hollywood with the U.S. military, known as militainment, they call it, militainment. It serves both parties well. Filmmakers get access to high-tech weaponry, helicopters, jet planes, and aircraft carriers, while the Pentagon gets free and positive publicity. 
The latest offering to come from this relationship is Act of Valor, and it takes the collaboration one step further. The the producers can't get or can't get more than just equipment. They have cast active duty military personnel in the lead roles. So you're getting real guys in, in the roles, not actors, prompting critics to say the lines have become so blurred that it's hard to see where Hollywood ends and the Pentagon propaganda begins. Well, it's really always been like that. In this week's feature, the listening post, uh, Nick Muirhead looks at the ties between the U.S. military and Hollywood. And it's a little uh, video that puts up there. I'll put that up as well tonight. And you can see even the spin is kind of positive on, on the expose. So... It's even the spin. So even this one is part of the propaganda. But so young guys fall for this kind of stuff because, wow, you know, it can be exciting. Oh, wow. Because they're, they're really little boys, you know. And they're really running around the forest going bang, bang. And suddenly they've got a uniform and a gun and going bang, bang. And they think no one, the enemy never can shoot straight in these movies. You notice that? They, they, they shoot everywhere except at, the, at, at you. That's how they think. Quite something. And remember what Kissinger said, that really they're just dumb, stupid animals that are used for foreign policy. That's what Kissinger said. What can you do, though? It's every, every year, another bunch turn 18. Now, the police are expecting more riots in England this year. And uh, it's interesting, that article came out in 2008, I think, from the big think tank for, that runs the military in Britain for the de- defence departments. And um, they mentioned in that big report, 90-odd pages, that they would have flash mobs and riots down the road. Now, this is before, actually, actually that was before the bank crashes that came out, that one. And so they knew where they were taking the whole world. It wouldn't just be in Britain, it would be elsewhere too. And they talked about all the different ways that they'd, they'd handle all these massive riots. So nothing happens by chance, you see. They know all this stuff long in advance because they make it happen. They bring on uh, the, the scenarios to make it happen, to get you to riot. So police are expecting repeated riots. And this is, uh, this is um, and are concerned about how budget cuts will affect their ability to deal with the unrest, according to a study in The Disorder, it's called, Into the Disorder. The majority of officers caught up in August's unrest believe similar rioting is likely, with many citing worsening social and economic conditions as a potential cause. So years ago, they knew they'd bring on all these causes at this time. It says they also fear their forces don't have the resources to cope with unrest on a similar scale. So they interviewed 130 officers from eight forces as part of the Reading the Riots research conducted by the London School of Economics and The Guardian. Most gave anonymous accounts of riots which spread across London, Birmingham, Liverpool, Manchester and Salford last summer. Nearly all those interviewed described the unrest as the greatest physical and psychological challenge of their careers and officers of all ranks said they were astonished no colleagues were killed. So it goes on and on, but then it says... At the end, it says basically, uh, it will happen if bad economic times and austerity are, are pushed in. Well, we know that's the agenda as austerity, so they will happen. And the folk at the bottom, of course, get really angry uh, that the students that are from the middle classes, whoever's left of them, uh, will, will lead the riots and the rest will just join in. That's how all revolutions happen. And the peasants never get anything out of it, though. But uh, it doesn't stop them trying. Back with more after this break.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watson. Another article I'll put up tonight too is to do with the Pacific Council on International Policy. Now I've mentioned the the various councils that the Council on Foreign Relations have set up for a hundred years. They're always setting up new branches to deal with the Far East, for instance. They've had the Institute for Pacific Relations for about 80 years, uh, making sure that everything was going working towards this big system we have today with China being built up and eventually merging in Australia and New Zealand and other countries under the auspices of China. So they've done the same thing for the Pacific group as well. It says the Pacific Council on International Policy is a, this is what they always say, is a non-partisan organization headquartered in LA with members and activities throughout the West Coast of the United States and internationally. The council is governed by a board of directors co-chaired by Mickey Cantor, remember him? Former U.S. Trade Representative and U.S. Secretary of Commerce and Ambassador Robert H. Tuttle, former U.S. Ambassador to the U.K., uh, there's also Gerald D. Green. He's the president and CEO of the Pacific Council, founded in 1995 in partnership with the Council on Foreign Relations. Right, this is from their own site. The Pacific Council is a 501c3 non-profit organization and a charitable group, you know, run by multi-trillionaires, whose work is made possible by financial contributions and in-kind support from individuals, corporations, foundations, and other organizations. So these are the guys who, who of course, shape the, uh, the complete merger for the Americas and for various other countries as well, and all your trade and your lifestyle, everything. So they just set them up just like that, you know. And they've got guys in government. They put their own members in government and in bureaucracy as well. And, and they come back and forth just like musical chairs, back and forth between the two. So uh, that's how you run. Corporations rule you. They always have, though. Always have. Tonight I'll even put a, a, a little uh, article by some comedian. I haven't seen him actually, but he was kicking off the MTV uh, show and one of the big shows. And he said, democracy is nonsense. He says, don't bother voting. He says, there's no difference with the parties. We're all run by corporations. I'll put that up tonight as well. And that's how we are run, really. All these charitable foundations. Remember going back to Weishaupt. Weishaupt mentioned that philanthropists would eventually rule the world and they, they would use governments as their fronts. As their fronts, you see. Well, that's what you have. Because every president and prime minister across the planet in all the first world countries have been members of the same group, Council on Foreign Relations, Royal Institute of International Affairs, uh, for a hundred years. That's no fact. That's no, it's no, 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 that is a fact. There's no, there's no hesitation in saying that because Carl Quigley, you know, mentioned that and he was the historian for this particular group with all their names and, and their positions and so on. And another article too for the coming riots back to the UK. It says UK police are to fire chemical projectiles. Uh, during future unrest because now they've got all these new uh, various things you can fire at the public and burn you and do all wonderful things, just like the sci-fi movies, I suppose. The British force are considering plans to fire projectiles can contain chemical irritants of people involved in any future unrest as the country's home office is developing the new weapons. 
They applied for uh, to the science and technology has developed a new weapon known as a discriminating irritant projectile to be fired by the British police during any future unrest across Britain. Then it, it reveals that the following uh, and that following the unprecedented unrest which spread across Britain in August. CAST, which is a, a, a core of scientists and engineers, they developed new technologies for the police. They held a brainstorming event in October to dis- new, discuss new ways of tackling any potential unrest. Where literally they talk about bringing helicopters over and spraying stuff over you and hitting you with beams of this and that and the other. And all sci-fi stuff, of course, and that's where the sci-fi ideas uh, came from. It wasn't from the, the minds of good producers or writers. It was all from groups like CAST, for instance, that were doing this stuff a long time ago. Under the Freedom of Information Act, the Guardian obtained the briefing for the brainstorming event, which was released for the police in Northern Ireland. It showed that participants taking part in the brainstorming session concluded that no ideas are too stupid or off the wall to consider. Now remember, going back to the the Department of Defense's article that came out years ago, and it's on my website, if you go into the archive sections for the Department of Defense uh, think tank, uh, they said that even use during these massive uh, flash mobs and stuff that would come down, they would use um, even small nukes, basically. Uh, small field, battlefield nukes on, on them as well. This is inside the country, and I'm not kidding you. So, yeah, no ideas too stupid or off the wall to consider. And they've got all your tax money uh, that they love to, to use to, to try all these things out. So, yeah, who knows? Maybe you'll eventually get phosphorus bombs coming down from choppers that rained all over the, the rioters, and they'll just burn you to death, you know. Maybe that's what will happen. Nobody will really complain. We'll get, we'll get over it quick when the next movie comes out and we're distracted. Uh, Russell Brandt is a guy, by the way, Brandt, who's a guy who says democracy is pointless. Uh, that's the, the video I'll put up, and you can hear him talking about it. He says we're all run by corporations, so at least even at that level they're getting the idea through. The shocking details of Barclays' epic uh, LIBOR fraud, the guys that set their, their interest rates, they call it LIBOR, or LIBOR. And they've actually got the emails of these top guys at the banks setting and rigging the system. Of course, they're all the dude types, as we say, hi dude, etc. That's what they call each other, dude, you know. And it says, what's up with your guys, like you are, eh? Oh boy, they're trendy. And fix, fix it, tell him to get it up. So they're, they're fixing, the, and of course, all their emails have been caught already. And it says, uh, from the FSA's breakdown of Barclays, traders caught in the act of manipulation, and it gives you the, the, the back and forth with the emails as, it, as they're starting to rig the, the market every, every morning. I'll put that up tonight as well. Nothing new in that, really. It's just new to the public. The Sierra Club, again, big charitable philanthropic ideas, foundations running the world with their corporations and their big front foundations that fund their armies of non-governmental organizations. The Sierra Club hires the EPA official who wanted to crucify EPA lawbreakers. For those who remember it, this is a former Environmental Protection Agency official who resigned earlier this year for comparing his work to crucifixion has found new employment with a leading green group. He was the guy who came out and says we have to pick examples and just crucify them and get the message across to to other other companies. So, well, he's got a job with uh, the Sierra Club, but what's new, you know? 
uh, says the Sheikh on Friday announced that Al Armendariz would be joining the group's Beyond Coal campaign next month as a senior representative. As a third generation Texan, I'm proud to be taking on this new role to help protect Texas, he says. <laughs> As, as they want to do away and control all your power and your resources and your energy supply by limiting, limiting one uh, system, they bring in their own, of course, and that's how they get you where they Everything's rigged, you see. It's a con. There's nothing real in charitable foundations. There's nothing real in it at all. It's always a con. And, and the big banks have used all these cons. What do you think the IMF is? Look into the history of the World Bank, an international monetary fund, and the Bank for International Settlements. That was what they came out with a hundred years ago. And they said they would create it. And, and the Bank for International Settlements would rule the world's central banks. That they'll be part of the same club. Well, we've got it. Here it's all here. Now, the mother who questioned a vaccination at a hospital has newborn baby taken away. Just for asking the question. That's how bad it's now. The control freak system we're in now, you know. It's not, it's not healthy being normal. And, and thinking and asking questions. It says, uh, I'm so upset and enraged over the, what was done to Jody Ferris and her baby at the Penn State Hershey Medical Center in Pennsylvania shortly after she gave birth that I'm having difficulty staying composed enough to write a coherent story. If recall, this is the same area of the st- state where officials allowed a serial child molester like Jerry Sandusky, former Penn State assistant football coach, to go free for decades and continue to abuse children, unfortunate enough to come across his lecherous path. While a mother who gives birth in a government hospital has her baby taken away for questioning at whether vaccination with Hep B is truly necessary. You know, does something seem very wrong with this picture? And it says, um, Jody and Scott Ferris's story. Jody hoped, uh, had hoped to have a home birth. Well, that's a no-no right away. She'd be on a, a blacklist. I want a home birth, you see. And after going into labour early and getting distance to the nearest hospital, Jodie and her husband Scott were advised by their midwife to call an ambulance and get to the hospital. So the baby girl was born in the ambulance in the parking lot of Hershey Medical Centre. Attending personnel at government-run facility took charge of Annie and Jodie very quickly. It says Jodie was unable to see and hold Annie after the birth and hospital personnel were totally unresponsive when she continued to inquire about her newborn Jodie was also given an injection uh, of oxytocin without first being told what it was. Hospital personnel only inquired whether she was allergic after the injection was given. Since Jodie's persistent inquiries, but Annie continued to go unheeded. She was simply told that she is in good hands and so on and so on. Finally, a doctor told Jodie that Annie had scored a 9 out of 10 on the APGAR test given to newborns, which is very good, considering that an 8 or above indicates a healthy child. A short time later, a different doctor told Jodie that Annie was very sick and would need to stay in the hospital. I guess they looked at the bill, it wasn't enough, so I wanted to get more cash. This doctor also arrogantly indicated his dislike for midwives with a comment that too many people think they know what they're doing. But an hour after being told Annie was sick, Annie was finally brought to Jodie. She was told Annie was doing well and would be able to go, go home shortly. And then they changed their minds again. So a few hours later, the story changed again. As another hospital staffer told Jodie and Scott that Annie would have to remain in the hospital for 72 hours for observation. When they inquired why, they were told that the law required Annie to stay for at least 48 hours. They, tell, they treat her like absolute morons, don't they? Ignorant morons. They do, even with injections. That was telling the law requires this and the law requires that, and it's not true. 
This anyway says there's no such law in Pennsylvania, by the way. After consulting with risk management why Annie had to stay at the hospital, it was admitted that even though Annie was fine and there was no reason she couldn't go home, she was being held prisoner at the hospital for 48, 72 hours, not for any health reason, but out of concern that if anything went wrong after Annie was discharged, that the hospital might get sued. Hospital risk management ultimately relented and said a 24-hour waiting period was sufficient and Jolene Scott could stay with her baby overnight. Anyway, it turned out that uh, she asked about the hepatitis vaccination. Was it really necessary? Well, because of that, they took the child away. That's it. That's basically it. That's it, folks. So that's how the world is run now. You see, you've got... Lenin talked about this system, and he was put in by the biggest bankers on the planet who created communism. You've got to have an antithesis, you see, to get the battle going. Otherwise, there's no change. So he mentioned that all these services, things would start up as services across the Western world, and they become authorities down the road. And that's what they are now. And believe you me, they really believe they are the ultimate authorities, and you're just a peasant, you know. That's how they really treat you in the hospitals now. And One Planet Schools... Interesting. This is from Scotland because Scotland's a test bed for really the, the new type of communism, you see. And uh, they always have little test beds across the world for different systems. But One Planet schools are schools that take a whole school approach to building pupils' capacity to successfully, confidently, effectively, and responsibly contribute to a sustainable future where people use the planet's natural resources fairly. Like through corporations that run the banks and own everything. The One Planet School's concept, which is inspired by the World Wildlife Fund, you know, that big philanthropic group again, brings together sustainable development, global citizenship, so they are global citizenship, right? Education and outdoor learning to help deliver priorities in Scottish education, including raising attainment, improving behavior, that's behavior modification, so you accept everything that's weird, inclusion and health and well-being. Uh, One Planet Schools working group chaired by Professor Peter Higgins, or oh, that guy again, from the University of Edinburgh, has been established to provide a strategic advice and direction to support the implementation of the manifesto commitment. A lot of their manifestos, don't they? Which states that uh, we welcome proposals for the creation of One Planet Schools and we'll look at ways of developing this concept. And it will include action to continue development of professional standards around sustainability, education, and leadership within our schools on environmental issues. So you, you can't read and write, but you can, you'll know all about, you know, environmental stuff and windmills and how wonderful they look. This is an amazing article. <laughs> but not really. In the world we live in today, nothing's, we've got folk now eating each other. I mean, with, with this guy in Canada who was an ASM and homosexuality who ate the guy on camera, for God's sake, and did other weird things with them as well. And it says, and they're taking courses now in, in college about, here's an example, female student 60 sues college professor after a sexuality course requires him to masturbate and document sexual abuse and fetishes and promiscuity. So if you document all this yourself too, to pass your exam. And it says, a woman taking a human sexual course has filed a lawsuit claiming she was required to masturbate, keep detailed sex journals, reveal her fetishes, and if she had been sexually abused, or she would not pass the class. Karen Royce, who's 60 years old, eh? What the hell is she doing in that job? Go, and, go away and, and paint or something. Take art classes. 
who took the class in Western Nevada College, filed a suit on June the 25th against class instructor Tom Kubenstein, department chairman Robert Morin, and college president Carol Lucy. She claimed the class assignments were invasive and, con- and constituted sexual harassment. According to ABC, her lawyer Ken McKenna said not only was she shocked by the assignments and the personal inquiries, but she herself had been a victim of sexual abuse. One of his requests was that people put in writing if they'd had sexual abuse experiences, how the authorities for this college could allow this man to conduct his class in this fashion, and in effect say, that's okay with us, it's outrageous, it's beyond belief. She took the class because she wanted to pursue a career in social work and believed the course would help her to gain knowledge as to psychological theories of human sexuality, which she believed were pertinent and necessary in excelling as a social working according to this suit. But uh, they want you to take a detailed diary of your own experiences. Yeah. And it says, Mr. Royston, it requires students to double the number of times they masturbate each week and keep a journal. This is what you're instructed to do when you go on these stupid courses. It's all pair of courses, for God's sake. It doesn't matter, it's a university. I don't care what, how they try to legitimize something. They're all pervs, for God's sake. Wake up, folks. Anyway, she told KRNV, I raised my hand and says, I don't masturbate. He said, I had to do it at least three times in order to get a grade in the class. Can you believe this? This is really, this is the world we live in today. This is the world. And, and, and there's Ban Ki moon up today at the United Nations. They're saying, you've got to accept everything in the world now. You know, it doesn't matter what your cultural norms are or anything else. Uh, human rights comes first. So, so you, your culture's down the tubes. And you have chaos. But don't worry, all these universities will churn out social workers to deal with the chaos. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we'll go to the calls now and there's Darren hanging on from Ireland there. Are you still there, Darren? Not bad at all, yeah. Uh, just two quick questions. I've noticed a lot of these like type of zombie articles coming out in news, and uh, I, I'm wondering what do you think they're, they're trying to pull here is, uh, do you think they'll take something like this out of the bag? Because I know people all for the years now have been uh, reduced to watching um, a lot of zombie films and everything mm-hmm. to do with cannibalism. I'm just wondering what your thoughts on that is. And uh, another question is... Uh, um, I was in the National Museum of Ireland there recently, and I noticed all these kind of really old artifacts and a lot of staff that staff that priests would use with the serpent kind of um, shape with the Sanhedrin kind of shape on top. And uh, a lot of these stuff, it's very kind of, uh, I guess you could say, Arabic kind of looking, Arabian looking. And I was kind of thinking that the Irish language itself has that, has a lot of similarities to the, to like, um, Arabic, like the way we pronounce our CHs together, as in like Ham or Chach, and yeah. uh, Arabic. So I'm just wondering, would you know anything about that at all? And uh, I'll take my answer off on and thanks. Yeah, the, the, the languages are definitely, definitely related, just no doubt about it. Uh, and it's, only, the only difference is, is now it's like different kinds of Gaelic even. When you look at uh, the Gaelic, it's related to German, uh, ancient German. 
and uh, and even in Scotland, Ireland, and Wales, because just that little bit of space and distance between them over centuries, how even they are hard to understand between the different groups of people. So it's the same thing as you go into uh, the ancient languages and how they developed and, and come down through time. They call them Indo-European, but there's more than Indo, obviously, uh, European to the languages. There's also the Aramaic uh, part as well, no doubt at all. In fact, a lot of uh, um, Middle Eastern words are, are actually in Gaelic as well, straight, straight translations, meaning the same things as well, and, and even place names. But... Um, yeah, you, you, you'll find there's a, a big Masonic influence, as you know, in Ireland, massive Masonic influence. And uh, uh, they do share a lot in common, even with their policing too. Even sheriffs and things like that, they come from Sharif. So you, you have, uh, I'm surprised that certain things all look similar to do with weaponry and police um, regalia down through the ages. Uh, there's definitely all connected there, even from the even from the Crusades onwards to when all that knowledge came back to the West uh, through the Normans, and uh, it was implemented as systems that still run today, by the way. But um, we're definitely we share so much in common with with these ancient peoples, and uh, there was a lot of trade in ancient times as well, the um, pre-Christian even. Lots of trade were found, they found Phoenician stones on the coast of Scotland and Ireland and elsewhere, where they definitely landed, and from other countries as well, even, even, they call it pre, uh, or proto-Iranian inscriptions, and a lot of stones around there, they even have them on the, the east coast of, of America as well. So, the ancient cultures were doing an awful lot of travelling back and forth, so it's no surprising that a lot of the languages, the original languages, have stayed much the same, or at least they have affiliations with each other. Yeah. You still there? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I just noticed because even in Ireland, you'll find the travelling community are very, very dark-skinned people and very dark-haired people, and they stay. They're like, I guess, one of the last clans, original, like a, a clan system left, but they've kind of kept the same genetic structure. That's right. And even they, they call them Hibernians as well, because they came across. Uh, from Spain at one point, so there was one big lot of Celts came through Spain to Ireland, and uh, there was a lot of dark-haired ones amongst them. But it even was back to other places in the Middle East as well, the whole route apparently, according to ancient tradition. Uh, so you have the Scotti, or the, the Scythian, the Scythian, the Scot, uh, and different branches as well, all went that direction via the Spanish route. But thanks for calling and from Hamish Massey Frontier, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you.